Good morning. Um, the reading is from John 1, um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. There, it says, test the spirits. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard in coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Scripture here says, test the spirits. And I'm going to issue a warning, also an encouragement. Not everyone who walks with this you should follow. Not everyone who walks with this lifts up the name of Christ. A matter of fact, we don't have to look far. We could look at the temptation of Jesus. <laughs> and in the wilderness, he was led to be tempted by the, by the devil. And in the interaction between Jesus and the devil, guess what was referenced? And who was the first to reference it? The devil. It is written. It is said. You know, a number of years ago, some folks who, you see them on Evenings, mostly on Saturdays. You see them on Sundays too. And they parked in a van across the street from where I lived. And they came out and they sent, the leaders sent them out two by two. And in one hand they had a Bible. And in the other hand was a bag, and I know that there were particular um, magazines inside that bag. And they came and they knocked. And I invited them in. 
And they asked me if I had a Bible, and I said, yes, I do. Could we use it? And I said, actually, do you said, you have a Bible. Could I see your Bible? You see, it's a technique they use. If they have your Bible, it's hard for them, it's hard for you to tell them to leave. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple technique. It's a, it's a wonderful technique because it works. So instead of me giving them my Bible, I asked them for theirs. I said, no, 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 I insist, I insist, I insist. Let me have your Bible. And I took their Bible and they started talking and I said, you know, we have a fundamental difference in belief. It is so fundamental, it actually affects salvation. What's that? I said, you folks don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. God eternal. Well, and they, 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 they started quoting, mm, they started quoting John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was a God. And they said, in the, in the beginning. And, and, and they said, yeah, so he had a beginning. So he couldn't be God eternal. I said, so let's, 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 let's start with where we agree from. We agree that the word that the scripture here talks about is Jesus Christ. They said, oh yes, yes, definitely. I said, good. So then I held on to their Bible and I reached and got mine, which was a lexicon Bible, which has the Greek and the English parallel. And I started to read to them in Greek. In archaein ho logos, in beginning, in eternity, in, and, and, and the word arche, I've said it before, it's from where we get the word archaeology from. And I said, there is no definite article right there. In the English, we read it and we miss the point because it says in the beginning. And in the Greek, there is no definite article. And the definite article in, in Greek is ho. There is no definite article written there. So it says in beginning, in eternity, from eternity was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And I used that scripture that they presented to me, and I presented unto them Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen. I offered to pray with them, but they don't believe in praying with people who don't believe like they do. And I said, well, I'll pray for you. And they walked. Of course, the next Saturday when they parked, they parked a little further down from across. And then, and then the leader came out and I, I, I don't know what he said. I can just imagine what he said. But as he came out, he gathered the group and there was a pointing to my house and yeah, they never came back. 
You see, the entire writing of John was not solely based, but primarily based on refuting a popular teaching of the day and a popular group of philosophers called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that anything that was physical was evil. So the, the bench was evil because it was physical. The tree was physical, so it's evil. The body is physical, so it's evil. That, of course, presented some real issues, and we'll go into that a little bit later in terms of how they rationalized their thoughts about Christ. John says, test the spirits. If the spirit says that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then yeah, we can, we can, that's a foundation, we can, we can begin there. If the spirit says Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, then that's the spirit of the anti-Christ. John was absolutely clear in renouncing of such a teaching. He declared that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. First, I mean, John chapter 1, verse 14. But he didn't just say Jesus became flesh and lived among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He did not use the common Greek word for dwell. In fact, he said Jesus became flesh and tabernacled. <laughs> Amen. He said, Jesus became flesh and tabernacled with us, literally. He said, tabernacled with us. <laughs> Eskenosen is the Greek word. Eskenosen means to dwell as in a tent, to encamp. Literal translation is literally to tabernacle. From the root word skini, which is a noun, which means a tent, or skinus, to tent, to encamp, to reside. That means very little to us. But to the Jewish people of that day, Think about what that would have meant to them. That John just didn't say he came, the, the word became flesh and, 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 and dwelt among us. But, to fact, but in the fact that John said the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. What did it mean to tabernacle? What did it mean to the children of Israel then? Because what it meant to them then, it's going to mean something to us today. It meant, first of all, the guiding presence of the Lord. 
We go back to the Old Testament. Remember the tent of the tabernacle? Remember the wandering in the wilderness where they needed God's guiding presence? Exodus chapter 40 verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. So God's presence was in the tent of the tabernacle, guiding them by day and guiding them by night. Now, I'm thinking some parents must have loved that. Because back in the day, they didn't have electricity. And pretty much, in, I don't know what percent. I don't know what percent. But it must be a very large percent of kids who are afraid of the dark. Because one of the most popular things for parents to buy for their little kids, those night lights, you just plug in. Come on now. Yes? Yep. You've used it? Come on, let's see the hand. You've used that? Yeah, let's see the hands. Thank you. You've used it. Even sometimes for ourselves. <laughs> God's presence was a, a cloud of fire by night. Gave them warmth, but also gave them light. No need for the, you know, no, you wouldn't hear any Israelite children crying, Mama, hey, could, could, you, could you light the fire? And, no, the fire is already lit. Can't be afraid of the dark. And one of the most, one of the most beautiful things I learned as a child, and no, my parents didn't have nightlights. Here was my mom's version of a nightlight. And now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul, the Lord, to keep. Not just that, but literally praying for God's protection, praying for God's presence even while we slept. And she prayed over us before we went to bed. That was my mom's version of the nightlight. God's guidance presence. When God's with you, when God is with you, there is a sense of comfort. There is a sense of assurance when you're guided in your, in your dealings. And, you know, people say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you do what you know first? <laughs> if you don't know what to do, the question is, are you doing what you know you should do? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my path. And the interesting thing about a, a flashlight, a torchlight, is that you know, it, it, might, it might not have 30 or 40 feet distance. You put it down in front of you, you can see exactly where you're going. And as you walk, as you walk, the torch light opens up new 
pathways for you. That's walking with God. Step by step, that's walking with God. And to tabernacle with us meant that God's guidance presence was here with us. Because Christ came and died for us. The Holy Spirit was sent to the church to comfort, to purify, but also to guide. Because Christ tabernacled with us, we have the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. To tabernacle, <laughs> it meant the continued establishment of God's covenant, the forgiveness of sins. You want to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament? You want to read a book and read it again? You know, I... I'm, I <laughs> One of, one of my favorite, and it's not, it's, it's not a movie, it's a, it's, a, it's a series. At first it was a trilogy, then they put in a, what do you call, if, if, if there are four movies? And no, they're not just four, they're five. I'm talking, first there was Born Identity. That, who's a Born fan? <laughs> yeah, there you are, there you go. Then there's Born Supremacy, then Born ultimatum, and then there was even one without him, but his, he was referenced in there, uh, Bourne Legacy, and then finally, Jason Bourne. Listen, I have watched them, oh my goodness. I, sometimes I'm watching them, and, and before the scene, you know, before they open their mouth, I, I, I'm saying the words with them. <laughs> but every time I watch the movie, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, rewind, whoa, yeah. Because there's a connection with something that happens after. And you want to read a book that connects the Old Testament and New Testament and get that same feel. Read the book of Hebrews. Read the book of Hebrews. Whoa. Talking about the tabernacle. Talking about the covenant. Talking about, oh, read the book of Hebrews and you will get a connection. You will be so, you, you will read it again. Whoa, I didn't see that. Well, and you read it again. Whoa, I did not see that. Read the book of Hebrews. So in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, it's talking about the tabernacle. And the, the tab, oh, beautiful. I, <laughs> I love, I love this. The tabernacle had, you know, the general um, you know, area. Then it had a holy place, which is like the platform here. And then there was a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Behind the second curtain was a room. This is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Containing the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark were the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had, been, that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. The stone tablets of the Covenant. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. 
But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood. When he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they had committed, even in ignorance. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Know that he has died as a ransom to set many free from the sins committed even under the first covenant. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the cleansing of our conscience. We have the promise of eternal inheritance because Christ tabernacled with us. Amen. Without the tabernacle, without the altar in the tabernacle, there would be no forgiveness of sin, as, as, the, as the writer of the Hebrew says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. No, he does say that, you know, the blood of Christ, the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse our conscience, could not purify our hearts. But the blood of the living lamb, the blood of the lamb of God, can cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us. Amen. And that is because Jesus tabernacled with us. To tabernacle. To tabernacle meant that Christ reflected the most holy presence of God, which was now available to all people at all times. That one blows my mind. To tabernacle meant that Christ, because Jesus said, He that has seen the Father, he that has seen me, has seen the Father. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, We have seen his glory. This is the glory of God that was revealed in the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies. And the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son. Full of grace and truth. This is the glory of God. That was in the holy of holies. The Hebrew people call it the Shekinah glory. <laughs> the Hebrew word Shekinah is not found in the Bible. But it's referenced by and, and has been welcomed and used by many Christians throughout the centuries. It means the visible majesty of the divine presence, especially when resting or dwelling between the cherubim on the mercy seat in the tabernacle <laughs> or in the temple of Solomon, a term used in the Hebrew Targums and by later Jews, and yes, as I've said, 
adopted also by Christians. But understand that the most holy presence of God was not available to the people. It was not available. Only one person. The high priest could have access to this presence. And only once a year. So I have a very unique situation at my school where I teach. I have a classroom. It's a middle school math classroom. But I'm also head of the middle school, which title is vice principal in charge of middle school. So I, I, I have on my computer files on, 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 on teachers. If I'm doing uh, evaluation of teachers, then it goes on my file. Um, you know, I, I might be working on an evaluation. So I don't allow students to come further than the side of my desk. Because I not only have files uh, on, on you know, it, communication between myself and parents regarding students, or communication between myself and, and teachers regarding students, but I also have communication between myself and the principal regarding teachers. My computer is open, and no, kids can't come. So I read to them certain scriptures, and I read to them portions of Hebrew and portions of the Old Testament. Then I declare to them, and, and I do this early in the year, and I, then I declare to them, my desk, my desk area is the Holy of Holies. <laughs> and there's only one person who can come into the Holy of Holies, and it's a high priest. And I say, you're looking at him. <laughs> Here is how the, the presence of God was such a powerful thing. The face of God was such a powerful thing. The high priest, before he went into the, you know, behind the curtains to the Holy of Holies, he had to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Then he had to offer sacrifices for his own sin and make confession. Then he would go into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice. But here is the practice that they would do. The high priest would have bells on the hem of his garment. And as he's walking around, they would know that the high priest was not struck down by the presence of God. Because the bells were still ringing. <laughs> bells are ringing. Good news. The bells stop ringing. Uh-oh. And it must have happened a couple times, but because it became a practice that the high priest would not only have bells at the hem of his foot, but he would also have a rope tied around his ankle. And the people, if they 
Heard the bell stop ringing? Time to pull the rope. Time to pull the rope. Because someone entered the presence of God with sin still out there. Sin was not confessed or the sin was not sacrificed for. And as, a, and as the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's how powerful the presence of God was. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron... Not to enter freely. Don't, 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 don't go in and out. Don't, don't think it's free. Don't enter freely into the whole, most holy place behind the veil in front of the mercy seat of the ark or else he will die. Had to do it once a year. Just once. That Christ's tabernacle with us. That he tabernacled with us meant that God's holy presence was with, with us. Available for us at all times. The holy of holies. What of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies? Inside was the Shekinah glory of God. Was the ark of the covenant. A representation of the very presence of God. What about that curtain? Let me read for you an account. Mark's commentary. Of the, his account of the crucifixion. Mark chapter 15 verse 37. But Jesus let out a loud cry. And breathed his last. And the veil and the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. This symbolizes that access to the most holy God had been opened now to all. Truly Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Because he tabernacled with us, we have access to the holy presence of God. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Have you ever been denied access to somewhere you really needed to be or wanted to be? Come on, think about that. Have you ever really been denied access to somewhere you wanted to be or needed to be? I worked at a church where I had an elderly, spunky, sprightly older lady named Bertha Wernig. I called her Big Bertha. No, she wasn't fat. She wasn't big either. Matter of fact, Bertha was about five feet one and, I don't know, probably 110 pounds. Bertha actually named herself Big Bertha after, after the Hurricane Bertha that happened, you know, 
Uh, and, then, and then I think there, those of you who play golf, I think there is a, you know, a driver that they call Big Bertha. Yeah, she, she somehow heard about that and just said, well, you know, Pastor Mason, I'm Big Bertha. Well, Big Bertha got sick, ended up in the Faulkner Hospital in intensive care. I got the call. When I got the call, I was on the road. I was in casual clothing. But the call seemed urgent, so I immediately rushed to the hospital. I was dressed casually. I reached the hospital and I parked, as usual. I went to the front desk, as usual. Identified myself as a minister, as usual. And asked for the patient's information, as usual. What was not usual was the response from the person behind the desk. I'm sorry, sir. Only immediate family members are allowed that information uh, about this patient, and only immediate family members can visit her uh, in intensive care. I insisted to see my parishioner. I repeated that I was her pastor, but the person behind the desk stood firm. I'm sorry, sir. Only immediate family members can visit her at this time. I insisted. I said, I am her pastor. My name is Reverend Mason. I showed her my... I didn't have a ID, you know, pastor's ID with me. I didn't even have a call card with me, uh, you know, a business card. I, you know, I showed her my ID. I said, I am her pastor. She dug her heels in. I am sorry, sir. Only immediate families can, can, can visit her at this time. I finally gave up when she motioned to a hospital uh, security guard to come over. <laughs> I wasn't going to, yeah, it's okay. Okay. I was shut out from a place I wanted to be and needed to be. You see, I wasn't dressed right. I was dressed casually. I was the minister of the church. It was the Faulkner Hospital. The closest church to the Faulkner Hospital, I was the minister of. <laughs> the church closest to the Faulkner Hospital, I was the minister of that church. If anybody who, if any, if any minister at all should be allowed, come on. But I wasn't dressed right. So my status was not recognized. I wasn't dressed right, so my standing was not recognized. I wasn't dressed right, so my position as her pastor was not recognized. Good news was Bertha quickly recovered and she was released in a couple of days. And, However, as we know about the aging elderly folks, they sometimes recover but fall back into illness. And about a week later, she had another medical situation which landed her in intensive care in the same hospital. Oh boy, here we go again. Second time round, just a week later. But this time, 
I was not just allowed access. This time I was ushered in with an escort. I was asked if I had my parking validated. And I, I said no. And the, and the person behind the desk asked me for my parking ticket, validated it, which meant free parking. Person called an orderly. Or it might have been a security guard, I don't remember. But it was a hospital personnel. And ushered me in with an escort to previously inaccessible halls and through no entry doors. I was taken right into the intensive care, right to the bedside of Big Bertha. Simply because I was dressed right. You see, when I went that second time, I was wearing a suit. I was wearing my black clerical shirt with its clerical collar. I was recognized as a man of the cloth. I was recognized as a reverend. I was, and, and that's the interesting thing. The lady spoke to me before, kept on saying, Mr. Mason, Mr. Mason. This person, as she didn't even know, she didn't even hear my name. She kept on saying, Reverend or Father. Because I was dressed right. When you come before God, are you dressed right? Are you covered with the blood of Christ? I gave him my old tattered garments. He gave me a robe of pure white. I'm feasting from manna from heaven. No, I'm happy tonight, today too. But are you dressed right? Are you covered by the blood? Because if you're covered by the blood, if you're dressed right, we have access to the Holy of Holies. If we're dressed right, we have access to the very presence of God. Why? Because Jesus tabernacled with us. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Because he tabernacled with us. And lastly, as they moved around from spot to spot, Every morning, something happened. Every morning, something happened. Something unusual happened. Something fell from the sky. It was manna. Unleavened bread. Feeding the people. Daily. And the interesting thing is, if they gathered more than they needed, they tried to hoard, it just spoiled. It just spoiled. They were told only to get what they need for that day. And truly, that's such a great symbolism for us to live by faith day by day. Day by day. And what did Jesus call himself? I am the bread of life. <laughs> I am the bread of life. 
And what do we pray every day when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. And believe me, when I pray that prayer, I'm not just talking about daily bread. I'm not just talking about physical food. I'm there talking, God, God, I need that daily bread. I need that daily presence of your Son in my heart, in my life. And we have it because Jesus tabernacled with us. We're going to go into prayer. Understanding that The very presence of God is made available to us through the life and death of our Savior. Because he tabernacled with us, we have access to that presence. Patrick, we're going to need the uh, Lord's Prayer. Thank you. I'm going to give us just a couple moments to pray. Maybe just thanking God for that opportunity to access his presence. Maybe seeking his forgiveness. Maybe thanking him, praising him for his presence in your life. Whatever God has laid upon your heart during this time. Let's just spend a couple moments in prayer.